All right, take three. We're going to get it right, eventually. <laughs> Welcome to Butt First Coffee. Oh, We've tried this a few times. And it's, we just can't get the damn thing to get right, I guess. Anyway, oh, we have... We have a show where we're not going to be talking about domestic stuff for once. Uh, we're going to be going around the world and uncovering some of the stories that don't get a whole lot of traction. Um, but before we get into that, uh, how's everyone doing? I'm good. Just a little bit sleepy. I should have made some coffee. You don't have coffee for a show that's called Butt First Coffee? You're not, not living up me. to this. You oh. don't ever drink coffee, Robin. I have coffee. That's well known documented yeah. so like what's your point you someone's gotta actually live up to the name can i have a sip of your coffee wow okay yeah i guess thank, you can thank we, you we, we could just do take four and you could get some coffee. no no let's keep going since we're talking about coffee i do have a gripe they stopped selling my brand of coffee at target and i'm very very upset about this <laughs> i've had to switch to the dunkin donuts brand First world problems, I know, but yes, I miss my Target brand of coffee. Archer Farms, please come back. Please, please come back. Okay, anyway. That is a problem. That's a huge problem. It is, it is most certainly a first world problem. Okay, so how about we talk about actual problems and not the fact that I don't have enough coffee throughout the day? You have enough, just not your brand. <laughs> um, we're going to talk a little bit about Manmar. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the farmers' protests in India. Uh, we're going to catch up on some stories that's been happening in Kashmir. Um, and like I said, we're not going to be talking about anything domestic U.S.-related today. So with that, uh, Nazia, why don't you kick us off? So as many people know, um, right now in Myanmar, they're going through a really tough time. They've been going through a tough time for decades, but... They just had their elections as well in November, and the prime minister, I can't ever say her name right. Robin's got it done. On soon. Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi. Suu Kyi, yeah. She was reelected by a landslide. I don't remember exactly what the percentage was, but it was a landslide, and the military, they lost against her, so they just decided that they're going to take over anyway. And uh, put her behind bars and stage a coup. And that's where they are right now. And it sounds pretty horrible over there. They, they claimed election fraud. <clears throat> yeah. Sound familiar, guys? Wow. I wonder where that came from. Hmm. Hmm. Never heard of that before. So just when you think it's, uh, you know, uh, third world countries or eastern countries. Nope. We had the same thing in the U.S. of A. But... They were able to get away with it, unfortunately. So that's kind of what's going on right now. So what has their history been in terms of kind of going back and forth with military rule and democracy? Because for the past 30 some years, they've kind of struggled with this, right? I don't know so much about their history when it was Burma instead of Myanmar, which I think was prior to 2011, but since 2011, I know that the Democratic Party has basically been leading. They, they won in 2011. And so since then, they've been working with the military like side by side to run the country. It hasn't just been one party 
doing, uh, you know, making all the policies and doing what they want, they've basically tried to work together to run the country and hasn't been going very well. Robin, do you know prior to 2011 kind of what their politics look like? I know it was mostly a military run. It was pretty much military run. Aung San Suu Kyi was on house arrest constantly. Um, And what the military did was because of the sanctions and everything else, it was hurting the country. So... They came up with a, I think it was a constitution where the Wasn't military... Wasn't she on house arrest for like 30 years on and Something off? like that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but they, they couldn't kill her because she was way too popular. She still is right now. Um, the military set up a constitution where they would retain 25% of the power in the newly elected government. Par- parliament, yeah. Parliament. And um, they've tried to do that. The problem is that with elections and with people voting... Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi's government is more and more popular as the years have gone on and the military has been losing those elections. Uh, Because of this, the recent elections, they said that uh, with them losing even more of the vote, they they just said that there's election fraud. They don't have any evidence for it, but they continue to say that there was. And because of this... I think it was on the day that they were actually supposed to be sworn in, the new government was supposed to start, uh, they instead um, just went along with the coup. Yeah, and what's interesting is I read uh, in one of the articles that because, you know, you guys know, like with what the military in Myanmar has been doing to uh, religious minorities or just minorities in general in Myanmar, like the Rohingyas, They've just been, you know, destroying their homes, raping them, killing them where they had to flee to Bangladesh. So, you know, uh, the Democratic Party, including the prime minister, have actually defended them the last few years, the military, Mm -hmm. and have kind of denied that these things are happening when it's clearly been happening. Everybody knows it's been happening. And didn't she win a Nobel Peace Prize? Yeah. So prior to Mm -hmm. the Rohingya, like trying to cleanse them like their race that's what they were trying to do they were just trying to get rid of them by you know genocide so prior to that happening she won a nobel peace prize uh for you know what robin just stated like you know trying to work with the military and trying to run the country together she being um i'm not gonna be able to pronounce this so robin go ahead Um, and so basically she's been defending them just so, you know, they can work together to run the country because she knew that if she spoke the truth, what would happen to her is what just happened to her. So she basically, um, was then told that she doesn't deserve the Nobel Peace Prize for basically lying on behalf of them. And even with her defending them, this is what they're doing to her because she won again. So what's happening now? So we have multiple protests on the streets. You've got uh, so government people... government officials are being um, put under house arrest. Uh, a ton. And the military is saying that in a year they're going to hold new elections because this was a fraud, mm-hmm. fraudulent election. And uh, one other thing that what I was going to say is I read that the Democratic Party that she belongs to basically told the military because of the stuff they've been doing to religious minorities and all kinds of other crap that they do, they do as they please. They're killing people left and right. 
that you guys are now going to be under us. That's what I read. And so them knowing this time that they're losing the election and that this is kind of like one of the constraints that they'll face, I think that's why they staged this coup. Mm -hmm. So here's an interesting thing is that so the military coup led by Senior General Min Ong Heling, I don't know if I pronounced that right, yeah, but so that um, General Ong is is supposed to age out of Army Chief this summer, but his but his patronage network centered around a very lucrative family business have been undermined by his retirement and has not been able to secure a clean exit. So that may actually have something to do because there are a number of business conglomerates who have key cabinet positions. So how much of this is really uh, power grab by military families who have ruled for over the past 30 years and see their, you know, their businesses, their profits uh, diminishing? So corruption in general. Corruption in general. Yeah, trying yeah. to hold on to power. You know, um, so I don't know what's going to happen to Myanmar. Like, that's really scary. They were working toward, you know, a democratic government. But now it looks like that's a road, huge roadblock by sending her back into essentially house arrest or prison. I don't, I don't know exactly what her condition is right now. But the people are definitely protesting because they want the Democratic Party in power and not the military coup. Clearly, by the election. And several, like, independent um, agencies that have looked into the elections have said that there is no fraud mm -hmm. in the election. Like, it's pretty much been proven that there yeah. wasn't any fraud. That's, that's what I'm trying to see, is, is that there's, if there's any evidence of fraud whatsoever. There and, and it seems like there is zero evidence of, of fraud uh I mean, I, I was going to say widespread fraud, but there's zero evidence of fraud, period. Yeah, they, um, they weren't able to provide any evidence. So there's there's nothing that even here that says this is this is anything short of a coup and a military power grab, which seemingly stems from some business interests for key members that are in the cabinet. Right. So now I guess the question is... When will they hold elections again? If and they hold elections again. If yeah. Basically, yeah, if they hold elections again. But I know that the U.S. is putting a lot of pressures on China to condemn these acts. But I doubt that's going to happen. They... Uh, I, think, I think we got bigger things to worry about right now than what's going on, you know, on the other side of the world. Unfortunately. I mean, that's the sad reality of the truth. Or the well, no, but I mean, still, the U.S. is going to try, you know, especially under Democratic uh, president to help people who are in need. So obviously they're trying, but we know the Chinese government, they're not going to do anything. It doesn't look like it anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And much. we have bigger things to worry about. So that's probably uh, something on our radar, but not the biggest thing. Right. So. Okay. So next up is the farmer strike in India. Robin, kick us off. Well, it's past 45 days now since that started. Uh, they've been trying to negotiate with the government. That has not gone anywhere. And they're still blocking highways and um, just keeping business from happening regularly in India. Nazia, can you give us a little bit of a background? Yeah, just that, you know... First of all, in India, 
the farmers predominantly are from Punjab and Haryana, like northern India. Two states or provinces. Yes, close to uh, Delhi. And um, that's where I think they're blocking the highways. They've like all went into Delhi from, you know, the countryside. And that's where they're blocking the highways. I thought they were doing it in the capital also. Is it New Delhi or Delhi? I'm not sure. Either way. Yeah. So they're, you know, blocking those highways. Um, and it comes from, it stems from this new, I guess, law or bill that they're trying to pass where. They did pass th- it, by the way, it's, but it's been blocked by their Supreme Court. Was it passed? It was been passed by, by Parliament, but it's been blocked by the Indian Supreme Court. And it's very complex, but just to sum it down, uh, water it down it's basically that there was a minimum price on certain i guess products or food um like on wheat rice rice, you know the basics that farmers grow in northern india and you you had to pay the farmers that minimum amount now what they're trying to do is take that minimum amount away from each pro each uh product and so it sounds like corporations can kind of do whatever they want as far as pricing goes. Mm-hmm. And they can like, you know, pay you if it was minimum $15, for example, they can just say, we're going to give you $3 per pound or something like that. Like the farmers have no rights. Um, right. So, so. It, it used to be that with the minimum, they could be guaranteed a certain amount from their crop. Uh, now that they all the farmers have to negotiate for themselves, they don't have a big block looking out for them. And so it's a lot harder for them to get a nice amount of money for it. Well, yeah. And so the like, yeah. the like the argument that's been circulated by Modi and the BJP, uh, uh, his party, does not really make sense because, well, they're, they're arguing, one, modernization, two, it makes things fairer. Um, and, and brings more transparency. Using well, the U.S. as an example, that's what but, he does a lot. But here, here's the thing that I don't understand how it makes things one. Yeah, it does modernize it because by the sheer fact that you're going to have these individual farmers lose their land because they no longer guarantee a minimum price, so they're not going to be able to afford what it needs to maintain their farms, they're going to eventually have to sell to larger corporations and then corporations are only going to get bigger. That's how you get modernization. But the second part, when it comes to transparency, the system they have now is also, is like the most transparent system that you can have. You have, you have, you have farmers who basically go to an open auction market where prices are called out and it's bid on by, by, by farmers who are the suppliers and buyers who are the people who are buying their stuff. And so, you know, it starts at whatever the minimum price is per based on the crop. That is pretty damn transparent and as democratic as you can get. Now they're saying, okay, well, we want to make it more transparent, but you're going to negotiate a one-on-one. So that means that if I'm an individual farmer, my negotiating power is basically me against a big corporation and I'm always going to lose. Mm-hmm. And so what the BJP is saying, this is going to be better for our farmers. This is going to be better for the country, but it's not. They're going, what's going to happen in India is what has happened in the USA, where corporations come and take over and family farming is almost non-existent. That's what's going to happen if there's no minimum price. And 
by the way, these farmers aren't living at large or doing exceptionally well. They're barely making it as is. Like they're, most of them are just about feeding themselves. So if you take that away, what do they have left? It's, it's scary for them. And what a smart tactic that back, uh, like, you know, backfired on them. They tried to do this during COVID-19 thinking that farmers are not going to, they'll go on strike for a week, two weeks, whatever. They're not going to be out there like this, right? Mm -hmm. And it's still going. Like, they thought this was going to die out, like the CAA and the Kashmir uh, takeover or whatever, but it's not dying down. They've said, we'll stay there until 2024. Like, well, don't, yo, guys, don't mess with Punjabis. Like, <laughs> well, I think, I, I think, the, one, they're I think strong. the other advantages is that, you know, they, they do provide the the na- the nation's crops you know so those indian farmers provide a lot of the food that goes to the that feed the people in india and Absolutely. what i think is also what was lost on a lot of members of uh, the indian parliament was or it was the disconnect between urban urbanized urbanization in india versus rural- ruralism in india and how those really you know these these farmers they have children or they have relatives who are in, you know, Mumbai and 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 and, and in New Delhi and and live in very urban areas, but they have deep roots to their homes, which are in, um, in, you know, in Punjab and, and, and other parts where and per, Haryana, that's where, another big one, where yeah. farming is their staple. Mm-hmm. So they because they have those roots, I think they did not they, they did not anticipate the backlash because. As you said, in some of these other backlashes, it's kind of a foreign concept. Like, they can't relate to it. But in this one, they can relate to it because if these farmers aren't going to put food up, you know, if they if they start farming, there's no food that's coming in. It's all going to have to be imported. And like you said, the deep roots, they have family not only in, like, the big cities of India. They have families and relatives and friends around the world. And it's such a farming is such a global thing that it's become a global issue in the sense of support. There are people from around the world who are supporting them in India, whether you're Indian or not. And even like recently, they're apparently the BJP is going after Rihanna. Well, I mean, I mean, quite and honestly, those people because they're supporting them. It, and- it's it's because you know they're they're hard, they're hardworking people who provide who who are you know we in America we call them the breadbasket of America, but. What little is left, we have seen over and over and over again that corporations do not have the best interests of people. They put they put high fructose corn syrup. They put a whole bunch of shit in your food that shouldn't be that you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. They pump livestock full of of antibiotics, and all of these things are harming people. So this quote unquote modernization and making things more commercialized does not actually benefit people. Yeah, you get more food, but you get lower quality food. Absolutely, and so. I think this is this, that's one of the things that I why you know you said it's a global phenomenon that people are kind of banding together because they have seen you know if you're in the West you live in you you live you live in America you live in Canada you live in you know basically even all the way in, in parts of South America you've seen what happens when corporate corporations start taking over your food um, if you live in if you live in in China and Japan and Thailand and the Philippines you've also seen what happens when corporations take over your food you know if you're lucky to live in Europe then you still have that concept of family farms because they have highly regulated markets and 
if that was the proposal was that we're going to have highly regulated markets and we're going to have some type of system checks and balances, I think that would make sense. But basically, Modi said, nope, free market. You guys figure it out. And that's just a way to basically screw all the farmers. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, he tries to do it during times of desperation. He tries to pass these bills. It's pretty crazy. He it's like a distraction almost to do other things, but it just backfired completely. I think and this one backfired. Really badly. There's a lot of global support for them and also people are funding for them to continue going. And so well, that's what I, I thought it was interesting is because they have like full like little villages. They have, you know, even though they're protesting, they have hospital care or or like ambulance care they have their own newsletters they have they're even they even have their own like version of school so they're doing all of this while they're protesting on the streets and i think it's sweet that other people like kind of like bystanders that live there maybe other religious minorities or people who are anti-bjp especially like muslims are supporting them because they know the struggle like once you start going after one religious minority or a population like farmers, you're going to come after the next. So I think they recognize that. And I'm, well, it's I good think, to see that they're, they're banding together. I think, well, I think that's kind of been the pattern and it kind of takes us back. You know, we're going to do a little, a little rewind and an update of how we actually kind of started this podcast. So very uh, first episode. our very first episode was what's going on in Kashmir. Yeah. Um, and we thought it'd be good to provide a little update um, because uh, just this past week they got internet back. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll start hearing some stories. So just a little bit of history. And I think it's a good segue from what you just said, Nazia of, you know, first, first they came, first they came after those in, um, in Kashmir. Then they went after the, their version of basically the Muslim citizenship, uh, law. Then they went after the people in Gujarat, and then and then now they went after the Punjabi farmers. What do they do to people in Gujarat? Uh, there took, was something I read about it, but they, I can't they took they remember. took they took away their uh, their parliamentary seats, or they th- tried to. Oh yeah, um, and that's where Modi's from, so that's interesting. So you know, I, I you know, it's kind of you know, as you peel back and you try to create di- divisions along the people there, um, it got came to the point now where you know at least you have people unified. Anyway, kind of going back to the whole rewind of, you know, how we, you know, we started this podcast talking about Kashmir. Now they have their internet back um, and they've been essentially in a blackout for two years. Um, you know, they starting to have um, social media access um, that started actually a couple months ago. But what is kind of the state that they're in? Um, other than all of them being under house arrest and basically living in, you know, almost being in prison. Nazia, can you give us an update? I haven't been keeping up too much with, and maybe it's the lack of uh, news that were provided here, but as far as I know, it's been consistently bad in Kashmir. Like they've been, people have been under house arrest. There, um, you can't move around freely. You You couldn't for the last, what, 18 months is it? Or so? Almost, I believe yeah. 18 yeah, months. Uh, you can't, roam around freely there's military everywhere it's very very guarded by the military and uh 
they haven't let outsiders come in. They haven't let, let people leave. So it's kind of hard to tell exactly what has been happening. And they haven't had internet, guys, until like for a, almost 18 months until like two, three days ago. That's crazy. That goes to show you anything could be happening there and we don't really know. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like not knowing what's happening in North Korea. Like you don't really know what's happening in Kashmir. Yeah, I'm guessing they're still not letting reporters in either. Well, I think they're starting to. So uh, February 5th is uh, what's called the Kashmir Solidarity Day. And um, it's kind of, you know, well-timed that now they're able to have some internet access. But it's estimated that around 600,000 people are under house arrest still. Um, untold numbers of how many people have been killed. Um, and there have been what's called uh, judicial killings. Um, wow. But the numbers are not there. Um, or at least numbers have not been provided. Um, will never have them. Um, at least not to Western media outlets anyway. Um, so, I mean, I think... You have you have some people who are calling this a precursor to genocide, um, but again, we we don't know because we don't know what's been going on the ground, and all of their all of their activities are heavily monitored. They're still under house arrest um, for for many people, so it's it's hard to really have some open truth of this, about what is really happening there. But I think it's important to also not forget that you have. Um, you know, close to a million people who India wants you to forget about. Mm -hmm. It is the only state in India that's majority Muslim. And so a lot of critics of the BJP and Modi are saying their vision is ethnic cleansing of the Kashmiri people eventually. And we don't know what's been happening for the last year and a half, which is really sad. But it's not just Muslims and Kashmiris. Like, clearly, they're targeting now through the farmers, predominantly Sikhs. They have been passing laws for a while. Like, you can't uh, consume beef in India, even in, uh, like in your own household. So if you're a Christian... They had a beef ban. I don't know if you heard about the no, about this not, no. when Modi was first elected. Wow. First of all, you can't really sell beef in India, um, like in restaurants and stuff anyway, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, but, you know, in your own home as a Muslim or a Christian, there are some Hindus too. Even Brahmin, uh, like South uh, Indians, they eat beef, right? Um, so there was a beef ban where no one can consume any beef at all. So it starts off with really small, what we think are small acts, like, okay, I can give up beef, whatever. But then it turns into this. And that's what's been happening in India slowly. So it's not just Muslims and Kashmiris that they've been going after. Now it's become Christians in a way, because, you know, in South India, they're stripping a lot of them of their rights, Sikhs. They want it to be like a, what they call the Hindutva, which is like a Hindu-only country. is kind of like what Pakistan is with Islam. Like they don't really encourage or want anybody who isn't Muslim in Pakistan. They've always been like that. But India was supposed to be a country that, you know, kind of encourages people to have whatever faith they want. And now it's not turning out to be that way with uh, the BJP. 
And Bangladesh is like that too, where they want you to have freedom of religion. Uh, but, you know, India was supposed to be able to, I guess, be that country that in South Asia could show others that even though we're from different religious backgrounds, we can still get along and be one country, but it doesn't look like it's happening through the BJP. Hmm. That's going to be weird because with 1.3 billion people in that country, not everybody believes in the exact same thing. And so that's... Even Hindus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's going to be a problem soon. Yeah, so I've been looking at some some of the things, um, and we have uh, Dr. Gregory Stanton, who is part of a group called the uh, Genocide Watch, um, working out of D.C., and this is what his quote is. Um, speaking from Washington, D.C., uh, Dr. Sanders described the situation occupied in Kashmir as appalling. Kashmir is under military rule and is a very clear pre-genocidal situation, he cautioned. Um, if action's not taken, then the confined 7 million or more Kashmiris in their homes could lead to a mass genocide event. So it's uh, it's certainly something that folks need to pay attention to. Um, again, they have not had any rights. They have not had any communication. They've all been in lockdown. And we don't really know what's going on there. But in the absence of truth or communications, anything can happen. Yeah. Mm. And, I mean, I, I know no country's perfect. And, like, Pakistan's had their issues. Although I think their government right now is one of the best that they've had ever. But their prime minister has said recently that if Kashmir, I mean, they're, they argue who Kashmir belongs to, but I'm pretty sure Kashmir belongs to India. They said that if Kashmir wishes to be part of Pakistan, Pakistan would be obviously happy. But if they want to become an independent country, Pakistan will support that. So India hasn't said that and yeah. India is not going to say that. Mm -hmm. So... Imran Khan has come out and said that he would support them and how see how they can go about doing it. That's a huge statement coming from Pakistan. That is. And we, we hope for the best and hopefully we get some more reliable information about what's happening there. And uh, it, tur it turns out a little bit better than it actually is. You know, what's kind of funny is that, you know, what was it, eight, eight years ago when Modi first ran and he had the promise of maybe it's 10 years like now. can't uh, remember. Uh, it's been a long time. But, he got reelected, so. Yeah, and he ran with the promise of, of putting electricity where he said a light bulb and a toilet in every house. And I said, it's like, you know, that's, that's such a noble cause. And then to go from that to becoming the corrupt politician that he is now. I mean, it's almost like night and day. Ugh, 2021. 2021. 2021. It's only February. <laughs> so February. But with that, we are signing off. Everyone, enjoy your day. Bye. <laughs>